good morning. I can't hear you. <laughs> good morning. Well, as I stand before literally an audience of none, I am always reminded that I stand literally before an audience of one. <laughs> the Lord, he is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Um, he is the one that we seek to glorify. He is the one who is not only here in this empty sanctuary, but he is the one who is with you in your homes, in your cars, no matter where you may be, and hopefully he is in your life in your heart, because the Lord is the one who makes the difference. So I'm honored to come on this unusual Sunday and in this unusual season to present God's Word. This is a time like no other time where we need a sure word from the Lord. So let me look to God in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are in control even when things seem and feel out of control. Lord, we know that you are moving us towards a redemptive end, which is really a redemptive beginning. Jesus is coming, and anything that causes us to look forward to his coming is a good thing. Anything that reminds us of how incapable we are is a good thing. And even though we are an advanced civilization, and we thank you for technology this morning, we have also been reminded, Lord God, of just how exposed we are, um, in many ways how feeble we can be. And so, Lord, we're not necessarily trusting in this kingdom. We're looking for the kingdom which is to come. And since we don't know when it is going to come, we do pray that, Lord, you have mercy on us right now for our sake and for our children's sake. And that, Lord, you would use this to spark a revolution and a revival in the land. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. Bless your word. Use your word. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sixteen years ago. Sixteen years ago, my family and I went through a life-altering, yet life-saving season. Sixteen years ago, a life-altering and a life-saving season. A routine doctor's visit with my pregnant wife turned into an ambulance ride from Franklin into Nashville. My wife was 20 weeks pregnant with our fourth child, Karis. And as we went in just to get the regular check, the doctor saw that my wife had already begun to go into labor. And going into labor at 20 weeks would mean that my daughter would not survive. So therefore, they called for an ambulance and quickly escorted my wife to a hospital in Nashville where she would remain on bed rest, hospitalized bed rest, for the next six weeks. The goal was to make it through the rest of the pregnancy, but she was able to at least sustain and hold my child in for six weeks. 
And so during that time, my family, we were thrust into a new normal for six weeks. Um, I remember bringing the kids down, the other three kids down to the hospital room. And we would all sit in the room with my wife as she would lie in the bed. My kids would be doing homework. I'd be trying to do church work. We'd talk. I'd go out and get a meal and bring it in. And then we'd leave. I'd take the kids home, put the kids down for bed, uh, get up in the morning, get the kids out for school. I'd go to work, then stop back by the hospital, then go back home, uh, grab the kids, go back down to the hospital. And we did this for six weeks. It was a new normal. Our lives were altered. But thank God, it was also a life-saving season because my wife stayed still long enough so that my daughter could be born. Even though she was born 14 weeks early, she did come out as a premature child, two pounds, six ounces. But at this time, she's taller than my wife, <laughs> uh, probably one of the more agile children that I have. And uh, she's blessed, and we are blessed. My daughter, Karis, arrived, thank God, on November 30th, 2004. We went through a life-altering, yet life-changing season. The world is in a life-altering, life-changing, life-saving season that hopefully is temporary. We don't know how long this time is going to be, but hopefully is temporary. And as we anticipate the arrival of our King, Jesus Christ, um, this global pandemic may be a legitimate birth pang that will usher us into his return. Because Jesus said before he returns, there are going to be birth pangs, like a woman in labor. And as he gets closer to his return, the birth pangs, like with a woman, who is pregnant, about to deliver, they're going to intensify, and they're going to speed up. So we don't know with what's going on on a global scale if this is a birth pang that Jesus said would occur before his return, or it might be a fake Braxton Hicks. It might be one of those false alarms, meaning that it's not time for the baby to come. It's not time for the Messiah to come. But I need to let you know something, that today we are one day closer to the return of Jesus than we were yesterday. My God, he is coming, he is coming. And the question is, are you ready? <laughs> are you ready? The king is coming. Well, on Monday night, March 2nd, 2020, a tornado hit Nashville, leaving behind death, destruction, and devastation. And then on Thursday of the same week, March 5th, 2020, the first confirmed case of COVID-19 was discovered in Tennessee, just up the road in Williamson County in my hometown of Franklin, Tennessee. And so the tornado and the virus remind us just how vulnerable we are, just how susceptible we really are We've come to realize that we have control over nothing. The truth is we've not lost control of our lives. We've lost the illusion we were ever in control in the first place. So for those of you who might feel helpless, 
I stopped by on social media today to let you know that God stands ready to help you. For those who feel hopeless today, I, I've come by today to remind you that God is our hope. And for those who feel defenseless, God is our defense. For just as 9-11 changed everyone's life around the world, this global pandemic may end up doing the same. It already is changing life as we now know it. And as 9-11 momentarily brought our country closer to God and closer to one another, I pray that COVID-19 will do the same. I just hope that it lasts a little bit longer than what happened with September 11th. Because I remember when September 11th occurred, that churches were coming together. People were coming together. Even Congress was coming together and knocking down the walls of party politics. And I heard people talking about, let's pray, let's look to God. Well, I thought there was a separation of church and state. But all of a sudden, when trouble arises, now we want to talk to God. And now with this virus, our president wants us to pray. And yes, we will pray because the Bible says if, if anyone is in trouble, let him pray. We just don't want that to be the only time we pray. And we don't want to be that kind of nation who will act like people who only call on God when they got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. No, let's walk with God before the storm comes so that we know how to walk with him in the midst of the storm. You see, in times like these, we need a word. We need a word. I mean, Oprah is cool. She, she, she can talk, and, and, and politicians are cool. They can talk. Entertainers are cool. They can talk. Everybody has a view. Everybody has an opinion. CNN, Fox News. But, but I need a sure word. <laughs> I need a word from the word himself, Jesus Christ, the living word. And he has a word for us today, every day. And I'm going to take a word today from the Holy Bible, from the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. But what I want to do today, this morning, is that I want to preach the conclusion of that famous sermon of Jesus. The conclusion, and the conclusion of that sermon is found in Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. And I'll read down to verse 27, reading from the New King James Version. The Bible says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. I call your attention to verse 24, to the word, therefore. As Jesus begins his conclusion, to the Sermon on the Mount, he says, therefore. 
and at Strong Tower Bible Church, we are inductive Bible students. We believe that every word of God is inspired by him and fully authoritative, even words like therefore, because therefore connects what he said earlier. So we like to say here at Strong Tower, we like to know what the therefore is there for. So if we were to go back to the beginning of his sermon, which, by the way, at the close of Matthew chapter 4, it was a whole bunch of sick people in the land, people going through all kinds of diseases and issues and problems, and they were bringing these sick people to Jesus to heal them. And after he touched folks' bodies, he also knew they needed a word for their soul and for their spirit. So he sat down after healing people. He sat down and he began to teach on that mountain, the words of God. And as he taught in our Bibles for what is two chapters, really three chapters, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, he went through a host of 21 different topics in that sermon. Oh, boy. So, so if you had a attention deficit disorder back in that day, you, you wouldn't have been able to follow Jesus long. But my brother, my savior, my Lord, my God, he had 21 different topics in his sermon. And he closes in Matthew chapter 7 by saying, if you hear these sayings and you apply them, it'll change your life. And so rather than trying to talk about all 21, let me just grab one. I, I'm just going to grab one of these sayings that he said during this momentous occasion and I'll turn back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 in this sermon. In Matthew 6, 25, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Oh, boy. So one of the things he talked about was worry. Do not worry. Oh, if I can hear the master and then apply what he says, it'll change my life. But Jesus knows we learn by repetition so he says again in verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? In other words, you can worry, but it's not going to enhance your life. If anything, worrying is going to take away from your life. And you'll develop all kind of ulcers and high blood pressure because you're trying to fix stuff. You're wondering what's going to happen as opposed to trusting in the one who's in control of all things. Then Jesus says again in verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? And in our day, we can say, why do you worry about toilet paper? Nah, you don't hear me. Why do you worry about food and clothes? He's going to talk about those things. And then he says again in verse 31, therefore do not worry. Then he says again in verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We plan for tomorrow, but we're not to worry about tomorrow. By worrying, we're taking away from today. And Jesus said, today, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and tomorrow will take care of itself. Plan for it, prepare for it, but trust God today, the one who will give you the daily bread today, what you need today. He'll take care of tomorrow. As a matter of fact, has he ever failed you yet? Has he ever left you hanging yet? He's not going to leave you hanging today, and he surely won't leave you hanging tomorrow. Why? Because he's the God who changes not. Things change, but God does not change. 
So hearing God's word combined with our obedience to it is what creates the blueprint for a healthy, stable, and prosperous life. I'm about to prove that as I go back into his conclusion where Jesus says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, not only will they be wise, but their house or their life will be built upon the rock. And when the storms and the trials and the pestilences come, because they will come, Jesus says that house, that life will be able to stand. So let me speak for a few moments on the storms of life. The storms of life. Because Jesus talked about storms. As he concluded his sermon, he talked about storms. Because what good is getting the word if the word never gets practiced? And what good is a meaning a word in church or at home, but you don't put that word into practice? What good is shouting and jumping up high if you're not willing to walk straight when you come back down? And so we not only need a word, we need to apply the word. And I've got just three points today. I know Jesus had 21, but I just got three. I hope you can hang with me for these three. Number one, storms are a part of life. Number two, storms come against each life. And thirdly, storms reveal what your life is built upon. Amen? Well, let's go with point number one. Storms are a part of life. Jesus' parable compares two builders with two different descriptions. One was wise and one was foolish. They had two houses. They had two foundations. They had two different results. But there was one storm. Two builders, two descriptions, two houses, two foundations, two different results, and one storm. Jesus used torrential weather as a sermon illustration because he knew his listeners had experienced many storms. Because in that part of the world, there were windstorms, there were sandstorms, there were rainstorms, there were sea storms, and even at rare times in certain areas, there were snowstorms. Two times in scripture, Jesus tells, uh, rather, Jesus' disciples faced savage storms on the Sea of Galilee. Because sometimes your students really pay attention in the midst of a storm uh, when things aren't stable. So they're out on a sea, and Jesus was able to teach them who he was in the midst of the storms of life. In one storm, Jesus walked to them on the water. He got in the boat, and the storm stopped. He came walking to them. In the storm, and they thought it was a ghost. No, it wasn't a ghost. It was Jesus, the one who was empowered by the Holy Ghost. And when he got into the boat, the storm stopped. In another storm, he was asleep. <laughs> and the disciples thought they were going to die. So they shook the master until he woke up. And when he awakened from sleep, he told the storm, hush, be quiet. He put a muzzle on the storm, be quiet. And the Bible says the wind and the waves died down. What's the point? When Jesus is with you, when he's in your boat, when he's in your life, every storm 
will eventually cease. One way or another, the storm is going to cease because he's going to make all things new. This won't last always when he's in the boat of your life. But what I do know about the master is he won't tell the storm to cease until we learn the lesson from the storm. Oh, there's always a lesson in the storm. Because the purpose of the storm is for us to look to God, look for God, so that eventually we'll end up looking like God. Because you've never seen Jesus panic in a storm. You've never seen Jesus panic at all. So if the Spirit is moving us to be conformed, to be like Christ, we ought to panic less and be cool more. Any cool saints out there? Any chill saints out there? When this stuff starts happening, you got to remain copacetic. You got to remain steady. You got to remain calm. Not because the power is in you, but you know who has the power. Because God is sitting on the throne today, and he's not twiddling his thumbs wondering what's going to happen. He's already determined and decreed what's going to happen. So I might as well trust in him and wait on him. What is worrying going to do? My God. You see, a storm is also a metaphor. It's a metaphor for a disturbance, a hardship, a hard time, a ruckus, an inconvenience, an uproar, an upheaval, a trial, a test, or a tribulation. These are called storms of life. And many of our storms, as Pastor Jerry said earlier, they deal with health concerns they deal with financial issues, personal relationships, unexpected accidents, and natural disasters, stuff we can't control. So in John 16, Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. Storms are a part of life, but be of good cheer. <laughs> I have overcome the world. So in other words, don't just focus on the storm. Focus on the one who allowed the storm, who's bigger than the storm, and it ought to affect your attitude. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So once again, we see the same thing. Yeah, I'm going through something hard, a storm, a fiery trial, but I should still have a good attitude. I should still be glad. I should still rejoice. James 1-2 says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if, but when. And then he says again, count it all joy. So physical storms and spiritual storms, they're part of life. And when they come, here's how we know we're growing. God expects his children to have joy, to have peace, to have hope. He expects something to be different about us. He wants us to watch this sing in the rain. <laughs> he wants us to sing in the rain because if you can only worship when times are good, if you can only worship when the sun is shining and you can't worship in the rain, you got some growing to do. So God ordered up a coronavirus to, to grow us in our faith to see, are we going to worship in spite of the circumstances and conditions? Are we going to have joy in spite of what's going on? Because I don't know what's happening, but I know who's happening and he's in control. 
I think uh, those theologians, new edition, also said, uh, sunny days, everybody loves them. But tell me, Christian, can you stand the rain? <laughs> oh, my, can you stand the rain? Uh, the other day, I saw a local pastor by the name of Bishop Marcus Campbell. He was out in the streets of Nashville because in the midst of the virus, there are still people who need their daily needs met as a result of the a tornado that hit. So he, his church, our church, we're still in the community helping people. We're not going to forget those people as we worry about this virus. Well, not worry, deal with this virus. And this man of God said, and I, I must quote this brother, Marcus Campbell. He said, this is a good day to pop. He said, this is a good day to pop. Matter of fact, I'm popping. And so I listened to the preacher, and the preacher said, pop means to pray on purpose. Pop means to praise on purpose. Pop means to be positive on purpose. So my question is, are y'all popping out there? <laughs> are you praising him on purpose? Are you praying on purpose? Are you positive on purpose? Why? Because storms are a part of life. But secondly, storms come against each life. No one is exempt. No one is immune. No one is the exception. A storm is no respecter of purpose, persons. And the coronavirus is no respecter of persons. The virus has spread to 123 countries with more than 135,400 confirmed cases and over 5,000 related deaths as a Friday afternoon. So it's everywhere, touching everyone, including the rich and the famous, including celebrities. Actors Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson contracted the virus. Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz contracted the virus. And his teammate, Donovan Mitchell, also contracted the virus. And I need to let all the black folks know right now because y'all were going around for a minute talking about black folks don't get that Rona. That's what y'all call Y'all, we don't get that Rona. Well, Donovan Mitchell is a brother, and he got that Rona. Sophie Trudeau, wife of the Canadian prime minister, many other national dignitaries, and several professional soccer players all have come down with the coronavirus or COVID-19. You see, sometimes things don't hit home until they hit our homes. The tornado may not have hit your home, but the virus very well could. And so earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 5.45 that God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. So God sends the sun, God sends the rain, and he sends it on the just and the unjust, or quote-unquote good people and bad people. So God is faithful to supply to any and everyone the sun and the rain, meaning that there are going to be some sunny days or good days. There are going to be rain or bad days, and it comes on the just as well as the unjust. People who know God, people who don't know God are going to go through good things and bad things. No one is exempt. 
Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other. These kind of days make you appreciate those other days. These kind of days make us appreciate the simple things of life, which is really where life is most fulfilling. God ordains storms, and he ordains them for everyone, including Christians. Christians are not better than non-Christians, but by God's grace, we're better off than non-Christians. Why? Because we're not going through any storm alone. So we're better off by God's grace and his presence, which is an opportunity for me to extend an invitation to you that if God is not in your life, if Jesus is not your Lord, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Invite Jesus into your life to take over your life. He died on the cross because of your sins so that you wouldn't have to pay that penalty. He paid it for you. His perfect life in exchange for your imperfect life and my imperfect life. He shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. And after he died, they put him in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose, proving that he's the son of God. And what he paid for on Friday cleared the bank on Sunday. So you can trust him. Believe on Jesus. That's the only way you can have someone in the boat of your life in the midst of these storms. Don't do it alone. Don't do it by yourself. You need the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. In other words, we're all in the same boat right now. It's all common to everybody what's going on. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. This thing has affected and impacted all of us around the world. But I love what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 goes on to say, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Some versions say that you might be able to stand. So God is not only with you, but he's faithful on our behalf. Faithful just means you can count on him. You can depend on him. You can set your watch by him. He's bankable. And not only is he faithful, able, dependable, he is able to fix and change and help in the midst of the situation. So let me go to my third and final point, and that is storms reveal what your life is built upon. This is it right here. I'm coming to my conclusion in the midst of Jesus' conclusion to his sermon on the mount. So if you're not paying attention, you need to pay attention right now because storms reveal what your life is built upon. The strength of a building lies in its foundation. The main purpose of the foundation is to hold the entire structure in place and keep it upright. The foundation is the most important part of any structure. The foundation does three things. Pastor Jerry, don't laugh at me because he is, you know, the guy that knows how to work with his hands and he, he, he knows how he thinks architecturally. I'm not always that guy, but there is Google, praise the Lord. And uh, 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 the foundation does three things. It supports the load of the entire building. So we're in a building right now. You're in a building at home unless you're in a car somewhere. 
And there's a foundation of that structure that is supporting the entire building. Secondly, a foundation keeps the building standing when the forces of nature wreak havoc. So the building is there to keep the building standing. And thirdly, it keeps moisture from the ground from seeping into the structure and weakening it. And so when you add all of this up, the, the foundation is there to protect, to guard, to help, to strengthen everything else. This means that the foundation is everything. In Luke's version of this parable, Luke writes about this Sermon on the Mount, and he includes that Jesus said, you must dig deep to find the rock on which the house is to be built. Luke chapter 6, verse 48. So Jesus not only talks about the foundation being the rock, but he says you've got to dig down deep in order to find the rock in order to start building your house on top of the rock. And so in today's world, we, we may not necessarily build on rocks as they did in the days of antiquity, but today we build on concrete. And concrete is commonly used for a house's foundation, and there are also metal reinforcements that are added as well because builders today throughout all of time understand a house is only as strong as its foundation. Folks who build with a good foundation are wise, but people who just build on the surface, who don't want to dig deep, who don't want to build into a stable, faithful structure, they build on the surface. They build on what Jesus said, sand. And both houses look good from the outside. Both houses stand. But when that storm comes, that storm is going to reveal what that house is really built upon. And there are a lot of people, you, you look good from a distance. You look like you got it all together. But when that storm of life comes, unexpectedly, we're going to find out what you built on. And I'm so glad that we have chosen by the grace of God to build our lives on the rock. And the rock is Jesus Christ. Because to hear the words of Jesus and do them means that you have built your house or your life on the rock. Did you hear what I said? To hear his words and do them. That's what he says. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. But to hear the words of Jesus and not do them means you've built your house on sand. Very simple, but still hard for many of us to do. To hear the words of Jesus and do them means that you're a wise person. So when the Lord tells you to do something and you do it, you're wise. But when the Lord tells you to do something and you don't do it, Jesus said you're foolish. You need to be careful now. You need to be careful. We got to listen to the Lord. Because to hear the words of Jesus and do them means your house or your life will not fall when the storms come. When the unexpected things come. Yeah, the rains hit you. Yeah, the winds come against your house. Yeah, the floods come. But your house will remain standing. But to hear the words of Jesus and just say amen, to hear the words of Jesus and say hallelujah and not do them means that 
Not only will your house or your life fall, but Jesus said, great will be that fall. So it's not going to fall, it's going to collapse, and it's going to be great. The Greek word is mega, M-E-G-A. Mega, great will be the fall. And one proof that we've heard Jesus is that we do what he says. If you hear him, you do what he says, which is why Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying, because you can hear him, but not hear him. The Pharisees heard him, and they still crucified him. So you can hear the words, but not hear him in your spirit. The proof you've heard him in your spirit is that you adjust your life and do what he says. You see him as Lord, Master, and God. So just don't hear him. I mean, hear him. That's one proof that you heard him. You do what he says. And another proof that we've heard Jesus is that we won't fall apart when the storms of life hit us. Because one thing about the foundation, it's invisible to the naked eye. You can't see it. It's underground. Who you really are is invisible. It's in your heart. And the proof that your heart has been changed and that Christ is your foundation is that when you start going through stuff, you remain standing, having done everything to stand. You don't fall apart. You don't collapse. You don't panic. You don't give up. You don't try to buy everything out of Costco and run to the hills. It reveals what you really are and who you really trust in. So how are you responding to these recent storms? And by the way, again, we don't know if Jesus is coming in this immediate moment or if he's coming later. We don't know. We, we want to expect his coming at any time, but plan as if he may not come for another 40 years. We don't know. We just want to be ready. But these storms are going to get worse. These trials and tribulations are going to get worse. And God uses that so that hard hearts can get soft. So that people who are atheists and agnostics can repent and come to God. So that church folk can become saved folk. So he's using this stuff so that people can say, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We need you, Jesus. No other help I know. He's using this. And if you're not looking to God during this time, we pray for you. But this storm, these storms, they tell us who we are, whether we're standing or we're falling apart. The rock is stable, whereas sand is unstable. Sand is shifty. You can build a sand castle, but it ain't going to last long. You can try to put your house on sand. It won't last long. But if you build your house on the rock, it will stand the storms and test the time. And the rock is a picture of God himself. As I conclude, sand is a picture of man's effort. Sand is a picture of humanistic exploits. Man try to do it. But the rock signifies that God is the one who must do it. God is the one we build our lives on, not upon ourselves. That's sand. God is the rock, and, and I want to prove it real quick. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, God is the rock. Deuteronomy 32.15 says, God is the rock of salvation. 
1 Samuel 13, 6 says, there is no rock like our God. 2 Samuel twenty two forty seven says, the Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. Psalm 18, 31 says, who is a rock except our God? Psalm 31, 2 says, God is my rock of refuge. Psalm 40, verse 2 says, he also brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Psalm 61, 2 says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Isaiah 17, 10 says, God is the rock of your stronghold. 1 Peter 2, 8 says, God is the rock of offense. 1 Corinthians 10, 4 says, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're only as strong as the one on whom we build our lives. So are you standing on the rock today? His name is Jesus. He's God. Or are you standing on sand, trusting yourself, tr waiting for the next news uh, headline to come, waiting on what they say from the White House? No, 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 no. That has its place. But we're trusting in God. And somebody may say, Pastor, I'm a believer. Jesus is my rock. Pastor, I've been standing, but... Sometimes I lean every now and then. I just want to encourage you. We all lean from time to time. But as long as you're still standing, that's all right. Because there's a building, an edifice over in Europe called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And that thing has been leaning for 700 years without falling down. It's still standing because of its foundation. So, so you may be leaning today, but your foundation is in the Lord and he will straighten you back up. That tower, that's, that's a tourist attraction now. They, they, they couldn't straighten it if they wanted to. And folk come and see the spectacle, but you don't want to lean all the time. Lord, help straighten me up so I can stand and and having done everything to stand. You know, the president has asked that people around the country pray. And so I want to close this time in this service via live stream. We'll be here again next week if the Lord wills. I want to pray. I want to pray that not only would God contain this virus and raise up wisdom from our medical professionals and our scientists to be able to come up with a cure for this. But I'm also going to pray that we wouldn't miss what God wants us to learn about him through this. What good is it if we get delivered tomorrow, but our hearts and our lives haven't changed? So let's just trust God. Let, let, let's get closer to God. Don't waste this time. Press into the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, in the Sermon on the Mount, you reminded us that our Father knows what we have need of before we ask. <laughs> so glad to talk to a God who does not react, but a God who predetermines, a God who is sovereign, who is in control, who is large, 
who is king, who is not wondering, who is not worrying, who is not panicking. Thank you, God. We, we look to you when things look rough. We look to you when things look bad. We, we look to you when things look impossible because with you all things are possible. Lord, we know all you got to do is just look this way and that thing will be removed. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help people who've been infected, that you will heal people with and without medicine for those who can't even get to medicine. Thank you that your name is Jehovah Rapha. So, Lord, we pray for healing across the land, especially for our elderly family members and friends, those who are more prone to sickness. We pray, God, that you will heal the land. But, Lord, we know part of healing the land is not only healing bodies, but it's healing the hearts of men and women. I pray for reconciliation where there are broken relationships because, Lord, time is short. We just don't know. I pray, God, that you'll help our country to grow beyond party politics where we are so divisive that we can't even unify to help the people of this country. So from our president to the members of Congress, Republicans, Democrats, independents, we pray, Lord, that there would be humility and a reminder that they are here to serve the people and not themselves. And for those of them who know you, that they are here to serve you. Lord, I pray for a revival in the land. I'll even ask you, Lord, not to take this thing away until we learn from you what we need to learn. My God. May we, may we grow closer to you, closer to one another. May we think about the less fortunate. May we think about people, Lord, who even now when schools are being canceled, there are families who don't know where to send their children. They depended on those meals that the schools provided. Lord, it's a great opportunity for the church to do more than just have church but for us to be the church, to be your hands and feet. And we don't have to wait for everybody at our church to get involved. We can be the church by ourselves, going out, serving, touching, and speaking the love of Jesus. We're empowered by your spirit. Lord, I pray for people to get saved, to come to Jesus through all of this. I pray that we'll look to the hills from whence come our help. Our help comes from you, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth the God who told us pestilence would come. But we also know that Jesus is coming. So help us to fix our eyes on Christ. We love you, God. We bless you. We lift up the nations today. We lift up the church today. And we lift up the name of Jesus today. And we stand on the rock. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Lord willing, we'll see you next week. He's my rock, my rock, my son, she, oh yeah. He's my wheel in the middle of the wheel. Oh, oh, oh he's
I can't sing. Uh-huh. What that I have found. Oh, okay, all right. 